good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Good morning. Welcome to Dischem Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We are very privileged to have our guest today, Dr. Martin Davis, who's pediatrician and pediatric pulmonologist at Netcare Linksfield Hospital. Probably delivered, was at the births of half of you and uh, or treated your children, including my own. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dean. Thank you for asking me. Okay. And so let's talk first about, well, I know you're a pediatrician, very experienced with um, general pediatrics as well as respiratory diseases, being a pulmonologist. Let's start off with, I mean, now in summer, is it... Uh, is it chest season? Are people getting sick at this time of year? Or what diseases are children presenting with at this time of year? It's um, it's traditionally the, the the period where we don't have too much chest pathology, but um, people have come back from uh, overseas. They brought back viruses from the northern hemisphere. Um, they've um, they've been overcrowding down at the coast, and so we're starting to see various viruses more what we call enteroviruses that affect the bowel. Um, and not so much by way of respiratory disease, but from an allergy point of view, um, rhinitis um, is, is rough. Okay, and how, how are the patients presenting to you? What are they coming in with? They're presenting with blocked noses. They're presenting with headaches. Um, they're rubbing their eyes. They um, have comorbidity, so they have ear infections as well. And um, it all seems to be related to, um, to the grasses that we have up here. Okay, and uh, what what are the usual allergens here? What grasses are people usually um, allergic to? We know, we, when we do our testing, we look at uh, Bermuda grasses and we look at a grass mix. So it's it's really um, cuckoo to some degree, but it's uh, it's uh, all of the, the 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 local grasses that we have, except for thatch. Okay, and are these all other uh, allergens or the pollen in the air, or do kids have to be in contact with the with the grasses? Um, but for both, in fact. Both, in fact. Okay. And how, how do you test these children for allergies? Well, the first thing is if uh, a, a good history is important. I, I think the one thing we forget to do is to take a history. So we get a history from the parents. We get a history from older Serbs. We, and then um, the second thing we do is if they um, agree to it, we may do a skin prick test. But today we rather uh, wait a while and, and do um, various blood tests, which are much more accurate and give us much more much better levels. Okay, and you can test specifically for those grasses on blood tests. Uh, you can t- test for grass mix on blood tests, yes. Okay. And for Bermuda grass, we can do that. Okay. So what do you do? Child comes in, running nose, itchy eyes, post nasal drip, um, and do you always test at? at uh, do you treat them first and then only test later? Normally, we treat them first. Yeah, and it depends on the age. So, if the child's usually young, unless you're doing a skin prick test, if the child's younger than than three, we would prefer not to do a an allergy test just yet. So we treat them, and then later on we, we might look at it and also get a good history. Often, ninety percent of the kids we will we'll get a, a result before that. Okay, and what do you usually treat them with? What's the standard uh, treatment that you choose to give? Um, well, it's interesting now because um, so many so many kids. I'm I'm sorry, I'm going off at a diversion there, but um, there's so many children that are are being treated for asthma, who in fact have rhinitis, and um, probably 
um, can be just treated with uh, with um, saline and with nasal clearing and uh, and without other treatment. Otherwise, we use intranasal steroids. Yeah. Um, and we use antihistamines if we have to. Okay. So, what uh, what uh, does it make a difference? What steroid you use for the nose? What spray you use? There's a whole lot on the market. There are a whole lot on the market. Some are. are, uh, are are meant to stick to the to the lining to the mucosa. Others are meant to produce uh, less by way of toxic effects. Um, but I think, by and large, uh, they're all pretty safe, except for the old ones. And uh, um, the, do you want uh, we leave you, our trade names? You, know, you can you can mention names. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. think it's a problem. So so we do so we do use flexinase nasals when they're acutely ill. Yeah, and then we put them on to other. Um, medications like um, Avamus and uh, and uh, flow flow nose and and Flomist and Fleximist. I think I think today it's a, a matter of cost as well. I think that sure. the generics are fine, and I think that um, the 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 old standard ones and even the new standard ones are very expensive, and uh, people just can't afford that anymore. And uh, what what sort of time period are we talking about? How long do you put them on the nasals for? Usually, uh, usually for ten days, and then monitor them. Um, and if they've responded, then we try and change them over if we can to um, a spray. To, to a spray, yeah. Okay, so just to tell our listeners there, the nasals, which a lot of you and your children have probably been on, are drops as opposed to a spray, and they're much more concentrated, much higher dose. Then the nasal spray, so they're good for an acute episode or when the children are very symptomatic. And um, that's why you might not be on them for so so long. What's the longest you've put a child on nasals for? Um, probably for a month at a time, but okay. we tr- really try and uh, cut them down before that time. Um, a lot of people want to use them all the time. I think the, the traditional... Indication was for for polyps, polyps. yeah, nasal yeah. Polyps, eh? and um, and children really have polyps, so um, probably ten days, and then try change over if you can. Okay, we're going to take a short ad break. This is this game Medical Monday one hundred one point nine Clive. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We are privileged to be hosting Dr. Martin Davis, pediatrician and pediatric pulmonologist at Netcare Linksfield Hospital. If you would like to ask any questions to Dr. Davis, you can SMS our studio number on 34519. You can send a telegram on 0618951019. And you can call into the studio on 010140 We're busy talking about allergies and rhinitis. You mentioned, Dr. Davis, that often children um, have, are asthmatic or they've got ear problems and we're, treating the, we're treat, not treating the, the nose and their asthma is getting worse. Why, does, why do nasal problems and allergies make asthma worse or exacerbate the asthma? I think, I think we, we should know that, it's, uh, that, uh, that um, the respiratory system starts from the nose and ends in the chest. At, uh, you used to have ENTs who used to just deal with noses and um, pulmonologists who dealt just with ki- uh, with with lungs and um, the old time pulmonologists would would not delve into the other things. So I think that we have to realise that it's one system that we have uh, united airways. But having said that, um, the uh, the pathology um, that we see is is different. The nose doesn't have muscle um, 
where is the chest and the airways have muscle. So when we talk about asthma, we're talking about the airways going all the way down to the air sacs where we would exchange oxygen for carbon dioxide. Um, so when we breathe in, air moves all the way down from the nose to the sinuses, um, down the back of, of, of the main airway, the trachea, windpipe, and then into the, into the bronchite, the lungs, um, the right lung has three lobes, the left lung has two lobes, and then those airways go down. Each one divides twi- tw- into two, and then they divide again and again and again, 23 times until they get to the air sacs. So when we talk about asthma, we, there are two definitions. The, the one is a clinical definition. It's an individual who gets short of breath when they run or when they get uh, an infection, or um, uh, and, th- and they respond to medication which opens up spasm in their lungs. So, um, so that's that's um, the definition is clinical, or we say that the airways become inflamed and swollen, and that the muscles go into spasm, and that's how we treat them. So we treat them um, by by taking away inflammation and taking away uh, spasm. Okay, so so what brings on the spasm? You, see, you mentioned uh, exercise is one of them. Yes, we we talk. We say you should, by definition, you should have a trigger, and the trigger would be allergy. It would be infection, mainly infection, I must say, um, and most of them are viral infections um, and don't need antibiotics. And uh, then they might it might be produced by uh, the cold. People go out in the, uh, on a cold night and they come back. The kids, the kids all go for soccer training at five o'clock and then they come to my rooms to be opened up because uh, the cold itself may trigger it off. Um, and then, and then uh, some people say e- emotion and psychological reasons. And and there's been a, quite a lot of work done on that. And p- people who who start to hyperventilate be, um, tend to push out all the carbon dioxide from their lungs, and then they um, and then they go into spasm. So there are lots of, of um, triggers. How does uh, with regard to rhinitis and uh, allergies? How does that trigger the lungs? Um, well, there there are a number of theories. The the one theory is that you have the same uh, clinical pathology that goes from above uh, to below. Uh, they used to say that when you got blocked in your nose, you would open your mouth and then get all the allergens going down into your into your airways. Um, there also is uh, a thought that maybe um, it 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 might be totally different, uh, to- but we know but we know for sure that they they marry to one another. If you have asthma, if you have rhinitis, you may not necessarily have asthma. And uh, does a post nasal drip play a role at all? How does the post nasal drip affect? Uh, I think. I think the post-nasal drip really affects people when they're lying down and when they, and they, and they, uh, they, there's no sleeping, um, they toss and they turn. They, um, secondary infection may not be there, it may, it may occur, but it certainly does restrict the individual, um, during the night and during the day, I suppose. Okay. And so let's talk about, can we talk about asthma for a bit? And then we'll go into some of the uh, respiratory illnesses. So uh, when when would you suspect asthma in a child? You mentioned uh, that uh, clinical definition, but practically what would a parent experience with a a child that would make them think they have asthma and they would bring them into you? I think think the the, the important thing about children with asthma is that um, they may follow their parents. So their their parents... um, 
may have presented every time they got a cold, they got asthma, and then they tell us they grew out of that. That's the commonest form, that um, post-viral, they, th- their airways become very twitchy, and they go into spasm, and then once you've treated them, they, they, they usually get better after the virus. That's, that's the commonest by far, and those children will grow out of it. Then you have a small group who... Um, who we say are not allergic or, or, or not infected, and they um, are usually pre- they were prem babies, um, tiny little prem babies whose lungs were not fully developed. The biggest, the biggest, biggest problem are, are the, the mothers who smoke during pregnancy. And just, if I may, just to say that, please don't think that vapes are safe. They are dangerous, more dangerous, and more dangerous than smoking a cigarette. So you can imagine how bad that is, and that may affect the newborn baby. So their lungs tend to be much smaller, and they tend to, as they grow up, their lungs remain small, and they're always prone to develop problems. And then finally, allergy, and um, that uh, one would look at. Okay, and uh, would the children usually be, would it be a cough or a wheeze or a mixture of both coughing at night? Um, I think I think the, the, the there's coughing with exercise and there's coughing with lying down, uh, but that may be post, part of the post-nasal drip. And then um, a wheeze, we should always remember that a wheeze is expiratory. So in asthma, you can breathe in, but you can't breathe out because the airways are, are, are inflamed. So they breathe in, their lungs become very extended and inflamed, and when they breathe out, they have a whistling sound. Can I demonstrate it? Sure. <laughs> Like that. They may not all present like that, but that's, and, and, um, uh, Professor Andy Bush from, from the Brompton makes a point that in Germany they don't even have a word called wheeze. So a lot of people come and say, my kid's wheezing, but in the meantime he's having a choking episode or he's got a foreign body in his lungs or something. something. Okay. That's right. Okay, very good. And so how do you, what's the latest in treatment of uh, childhood asthma? Um, the, the, the very young child, um, gets put on if, when it's old enough, if it needs it. First of all, if they are, uh, if it's produced by viruses, we tend to treat them for very short periods of time. Um, so there's, uh, there's a tendency now to talk about multi-trigger and, and, um, multi-trigger and episodic. And that's, uh, done by a guy called, uh, Paul Brunt from, from Amsterdam. And he says, that uh, with this whole group is that if you get um, features of asthma when you when you have a virus, but you otherwise well, those children are ep- called episodic, and there you can treat with um, with bronchodilators, um, but you would treat them with some sort of anti-inflammatory, which which we call infl- uh, inhaled st- uh, steroids if they're big enough, um, and they usually will get better, and you can stop their treatment. You don't have to treat them all the time, and those children will be like those parents who grew out of it. If you have children who uh, are multi-trigger, it's a mother with asthma, a father with eczema, and with multi-pathologies, and probably genetically those those children will need to go on to treatment, and they go on to inhaled steroids. I know steroids, everybody gets... Uh, yeah, so we're saying quarters Cortisone parents are probably happier to hear. Well, they're probably as frightened of cortisone and steroids. That's right. But, so, they, but there's minimal side effects with inhaled steroids. Is that absolutely. Correct? And we, we treat them. The, the, the guidelines now say you start with a, a reasonable dose and you bring them down as soon as you can um, to lower doses. We don't go pushing, pushing, pushing higher, all depending on how, how we find them. So if the child's big enough and we do um, lung function studies, and have made that diagnosis, then we would put them on the lowest dose. And it's also important to know that uh, children must 
be able to um, respond quickly. And the, and in the new guidelines, we say that if they don't respond, then look for one of those other causes like the nose or um, another another pathology. Okay, we're going to take another short ad break. We're talking to Dr. Martin Davis, pediatric pulmonologist. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dean Gerson. We are speaking to Dr. Martin Davis, pediatric pulmonologist. If you've got any questions for Dr. Davis, please SMS 34519. Or you can phone the studio 010-140-3020. Or you can send us a telegram on 061-895-1019. We're busy talking about uh, asthma and the treatment in, uh, in children. Do, when do children need to nebulize and what's the difference between uh, delivering um, the drug via nebulizer and via an asthma pump or asthma spray? If they, if they, if they're big enough and we can, we prefer to use spaces. Those are those long plastic things, um, that we put the, the pumps on because we can get the baby, teach the younger child to breathe through it and to get, uh, they only get about 10% of their medicines to their lungs anyway. But, uh, nebulizers are a problem. Um, I'm not very fond of nebulizers. No, no, that's, yeah, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> so, so nebulizers, but the problem with nebulizers is the first thing it's got, you've got to have good application to those children. So you have to have the, 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 the nose pieces actually in the mouth or mouthpiece. You need to have the nose blocked and they need to breathe deeply in and out. And they just don't do that. Um, so, all we do is we get um, thrush all over the place and we we get no response. So nebulizers we still use in the hospital environment, sure, with oxygen, but but at home we don't tend to use them. Okay. Can you get good drug delivery with a spacer and… Uh, uh, better, if better. you can get them to breathe, yeah. For those children, for the very young children um, who have the viral-induced ones, we can use a, p- a particular medication called Montelukast. Which probably isn't quite as strong as the others, but the studies show that they not, that, that, that they certainly are therape- therapeutically uh, useful. They do not have um, any side effects, except if you give them at night and the kids keep you up all night. But the, um, they, they are little tablets or granules and they will work on inflammation within the lungs themselves. So that's for the young one. But for the others, we would much rather use spaces and when they're big enough, we can teach them how to use powders and we can also teach them how to use pumps. Okay, are the powders more effective than the than, aerosol, the, pumps. than the pumps? Yeah, um, probably much of a muchness, really. But uh, but they have to be shown. They really have to be shown. In the in, in the adults, we would much prefer to use powders. Uh, not that I deal with yeah. adults, but we we do. And in the um, in the older child, as soon as they they can use powders and they're happy to use powders, then we would do it. The problem is uh, with both of them, they may get thrush, so they have to learn to brush their teeth. Rinse the mouth, rinse their throat. Okay, that's right. And uh, regarding uh, regarding the powders or the pumps that the children take, what's in them? We said some uh, cortisone or a steroid, and uh, uh, there are there are those there are those pumps and powders that just have um, anti-inflammatory, which is which is the cortisone, and we tend to use that for the younger child. So. Um, uh, there are there are those medications which are called monotherapies, and they come in various forms. And then we have um, those which are combined with an agent that opens up the lungs, and we call them long-acting beta agonists. And the literature a few years ago was full of problems um, looking at studies to say if you're giving an agent that opens the lungs, they can't be given by themselves. They've got to be given with the steroids. Um, would they, in fact, produce a problem like a Pollyanna effect in the child feels better, but in fact you 
getting worse. And in fact, now they've been shown to be quite, quite safe. So we use them combined from about six. And those agents will keep you open, um, as well as taking away the inflammation. And so we're trying to use, um, less and less of the short acting agents like Ventolin, um, only if we really have to. Okay. And those ones just open your chest right away if they, if they do. They but it. if you, you only use Ventolin and the new guidelines show that as well. If you, you, if you only use Ventolin, um, it can be much, much worse because it, they, they combine with what we call the receptor sites and those don't then allow that condition to get much worse. And there've even been mortality and death from just using Ventolin mm-hmm. on and on and on. Okay. Uh, let's talk uh, maybe infections now. You did mention, though, that uh, asthma can be brought on by viral respiratory tract infections. Which viruses are usually involved? It's usually the respiratory virus. Um, uh, in the very young child, we talk about bronchiolitis. So we talk about a very similar situation, but it's triggered by um, by usually the cold virus. But Everybody walks around talking about RSV, RSV, RSV. So the respiratory syncytial virus is the common one in the first year. And it gives the children bronchiolitis, and it makes them quite sick. Um, and they cough just like asthmatics do. Um, there is no – really, most of the treatments don't work. Um, you've just got to give them TLC and, um, and sit by them because they, they wheeze and they wheeze and they cough and they cough. And whatever you give them, um, steroids um, – Antibiotics, there's no place for. Um, they actually wheeze for weeks. Um, there has been, and I certainly sometimes use the Montelukos, that's the Montiers and so on, um, for for those children who need them. Do they ever need admission, the RSVs? Um, the r- respiratory viruses? I mean, you said you give them TLC, so... But, uh, but a lot, if you've got a prim baby, those babies are in trouble. Um, so they have to often be admitted. Um, and they need to just have their, we admit them to give them fluid or oxygen at the time. And, um, the very tiny prim when it's born, they're given a, a, a substance or an injection, if the medical aides will agree to it, um, of called Synergis, which is an antibody. It's called a monoclonal antibody. It combines with the, um, with the RSV virus and prevents them from getting getting sick during that period of time very expensive got to be given every month wow and how, how often do you how long how long do you need to give it for every month for how we long no, we normally give it um, over the winter months so um we give it uh, probably on a monthly basis for three or four months but very expensive okay and uh, so you mentioned that the rsv will give the young kids uh, bronchiolitis what does it do in older kids um, the 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 antibody production, the resistance that we produce is very poor, so they can get it again, and adults and old people can get it as well. Um, but the but as you reach the first year and the second year, they're more they're more prone to get common cold, the rhinovirus. Um, and everybody thinks the common cold is that you know you get up in the morning, your nose runs, you get blocked, and a few days later you're better. The, the the strain that we see now, the strain C, is so dangerous, it's unbelievable. So they they get really sick with it. Um, but again, the the treatment is is uh, symptomatic. Okay, and uh, you you mentioned that it gives bronchiolitis. Where, do kids ever get bronchitis or pneumonia, um, or is this the same Bronch- thing? Uh, yes, they do get pneumonias. Uh, we're very um, the 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 commonest pneumonia that we get is called the community acquired one, and that's and that's pneumococcus or the the common one that where they have a lobe that's that's uh, infected, um, and that's affecting the the meaty part of the of the lung, the the tissue. And um, today um, we're very fortunate because we have a vaccine called um, called 
Prevnar, which is a pneumococcal vaccine, and we give it to individuals, and people are just not um, getting as sick as they were before. But the, that's usually the common one. There are other organisms as well. Um, try and treat them also. Try and treat all kids on an ambulatory basis at home if you can. Um, so bronch- from a bronchitis point of view, um, the the ones that we really see are those children who have something really severe. So for those children, for example, who are born, unfortunately, with uh, cystic fibrosis, for example, they, they might have big areas of dilatations, and, they, um, and, and those may give you bronchitis because they're affecting large airways. But when we talk about bronchiolitis, we normally talk about the little airways. And pneumonias going secondary together with, uh, with uh, bronchiolitis, yes, that, that can certainly occur in, in those individuals who have immune problems. And just by the way, the, 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 the word at the moment is to, to check everybody, um, all children who've been sick, and especially those who have nose problems, to check them all to see that they don't have uh, immune deficiency disorders. And um, just a word of caution, if, you, if, if people get a history of that, that means kids are always sick, always in hospital, always have pussy noses and ears, um, etc., then maybe the doctor will look for that, but that's got to be known by the specialist. Okay, great. And... Uh, looking at uh, bacterial infections of of the airways and lungs, what most commonly do you see? I think um, I think pneumococcus is the commonest. Okay, and but we're seeing much less of it now. So we do see, oh, probably hemophilus. But if we see if we see something else that's that's unusual, then you've got to go and look for an immune problem. Okay, so just to give a scenario, child's coughing with a fever, they go to the GP, they immediately get put on antibiotics, antibiotics yeah. which obviously we don't like, and I'm not saying all GPs do that, so please don't take offense, but oh, it's just sure. a very, it's a, a very, very common scenario. So most of the time these are, are viral illnesses. Will, will they get a fever with a viral illness? Not necessarily, but some do and um, others don't. And even if you get a high temperature with a, with a virus, it doesn't indicate an antibiotic that needs to be used. Uh, in the adults, um, they're now talking about having, if you, if you have a very high, there's an article that says if you have a very high temperature, you should think about antibiotics. Um, and another article that says if you have a very high monitoring test, which is called a CRP, you should use antibiotics. We don't necessarily do that. Okay, so when do you start a child on antibiotics? Um, look, if the if if the child clinically presents or has an X-ray and presents with a bacterial pneumonia, you must treat them. There's no question about that. If if the child looks more um, viral, then we would monitor them and see how we go. I, I guess in the townships it's difficult because they come to the hospital, sit all day, and then go back, and it's it's a problem. So many are treated, but if you if you've got the facilities to monitor them, then you would look and watch. Okay, and uh, what antibiotic do you usually uh, treat this? Uh, we we usually treat we usually treat the pneumococcus with uh, one of the semi-synthetic penicillins. We I don't want to use uh, augmentin for that because it's really should be used for other infections. But we use a narrow spectrum, like um, like. Uh, I'm just trying to think like Zostel or, or one of, or, or, or Moxipen or any one of the, um, of the amoxyl group of, of, of antibiotics usually. And, and in some individuals who have what we call atypical pneumonias, then we put them onto, um, a group of drugs which are called the, the macrolides, like Clacid. Clacid or Zithromax. That's right. Okay. So let's talk about what is the problem with uh, everybody just receiving antibiotics? 
in our community, Augmentin or Zithromax for every cough or cold that they get? So I think there are two things. I think the, the, the one thing is that they're given antibiotics where they're not indicated. And so, and they, and they unfortunately are given what we call broad spectrum antibiotics. So they're given antibiotics that work against a whole lot of things. They kill all the good stuff and they, and, the, and, and all of the bacteria that remain are all, um, what we call opportunistic. So they, they then make you sick. So, um, the, the danger, the first danger is that you're getting you're getting rid of all your normal bugs, and we're full of bugs. By the way, we have a, a thousand a thousand bacteria to every cell that we have in our bodies, and those are called the microbiota. So they live in our body and they keep us well. And we're born with them, and we die with them. Um, and if we don't have the correct ones, um, then then we start getting sick and we start having um, big epidemics of all sorts of things. So that so I think that. Um, the use of, of antibiotics will kill all the, all the various anti, uh, uh, bacteria that we have that are good for us. And the second thing is that um, they've worked out now that by 2050, it's not far away, 2050, there will be no antibiotics available if we carry on the way we're doing, and that there will be, they're working out on approximately 10 million deaths per year in the United States alone on... Uh, because of antibiotic resistance, and, and at our last meeting we had in November, they've they've taken that, they've doubled that. Okay, but so how do uh, bugs get resistant to these antibiotics? Um, they start developing uh, enzymes, and they start developing other factors which actually uh, are able to break down those antibiotics. And the the more you use them, so the more they break down those antibiotics uh, rapidly. Okay, so we should be using. Well, first of all, you need to know when it's appropriate to take an antibiotic or not, and then we should use the most simple, if I can say, yes. antibiotic possible. The narrow spectrum. Then the most narrow, narrow spectrum. That's right. Okay. So when uh, they do, when everyone's just given Augmentin or Coamoxiclav, that uh, is bad in two ways. It kills all the good bacteria in your body and also creates resistance for... It needs to be used for certain things. I mean, sure. for ear infections, there's no question that's a treatment of choice. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, and 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 for sinus infections, but <clears throat> but for the, for others that we can use in our spectrum, we're 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 killing the goose that laid the golden egg, um, and uh, that's a big problem. They've just not just a few years ago, um, the, the some some of the big professors in 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 Europe, and in in Australia and the states formed a group which are called No Drugs Big Bugs. Because the, um, many of the drug companies have now given up producing antibiotics. So they, they, it's much more cost effective to produce, um, uh, oncological drugs, anti uh, anti-malignant drugs, um, um, as opposed to antibiotics. Antibiotics. So they've, so many people have been, have been put off. They've been retrenched. And this group has now managed to get I don't know which which companies or anything, but they are now working on four new antibiotics. So hopefully by 2030, it's a long way to go, we'll have new antibiotics. Mm. Okay. So, wow, that's uh, amazing. So just tell me in our community, do you have any figures? I mean, um, a lot of people are put onto augment, and we're using huge doses at the moment, unfortunately, to treat certain things. So is there resistance to augment already in our community? Um, There certainly is in, in, in certain respects, yeah. 
but because we need it for we need it for um, severe infections. There are figures, and um, and the, the the laboratories keep um, records of it. I can't give you that okay. right now, but there certainly is. Okay, and what about the macrolides, the Zithromax? Uh, sorry, the yeah, the yeah, Zithromax the macro, and, the the and the classids. Yeah, they're being used willy-nilly, left, right, and center, first first line medication, etc. There are there is really only a couple of indications. One of them is for whooping cough to shorten the uh, the, the progress of it. The second one is for a, an atypical pneumonia, which is called mycoplasma, and we use them for for one of the one of the diarrheas, which is called Campylobacter. So we tend to we tend we'd like to reserve them for there. However. Um, we now, now are using macrolides um, as anti-inflammatories. In other words, they work quite well if you have somebody who's really sick and remains sick and so on, and um, you use them in very low doses, and you use them very once a week or twice a week. So if you ask me why, the, the big guys overseas don't know why. Uh, it doesn't but they, produce. But they work. It's not for the antibiotic effect. It's for yes, the and it doesn't produce and, uh, uh, resistance either. Okay, because I know a lot of people like taking them because it's once a day and for three days. That's, that's right. That's, that's right. That's the usual course, and that's most right. of the time it's viral, so they get better. And, and they probably do get better in a lot of cases, but it's it's not the right way to go. Okay. And uh, what about uh, cephalosporins? What, what do we use uh, those for? Do you ever use them? Yes, we do use them. Some names of them. Aralox is. uh, What what other ones? We do use them. Um, We've in the past, we've used them for individuals who have chronic urinary infections to prevent them from getting infections. (coughs) The um, and we divide them into first, second, third generation, and even fourth generation. Cephalosporins, they work very much like penicillin does on the cell wall. So if you're giving it to a virus, it's not going to work. Um, the second generations, um, and the, are, are still being used in, in, in certain situations. There's one called Kefuroxine, which is the NAT, and that's quite a good one. Um, but then they start using Orolox, which is a third generation, and, um, fortunately the fourth generation is only given intravenously, but the, um, uh, we, we would really caution on the side of being, uh, of being cautious. Okay. We've got a question. Why aren't antibiotics made in suppository form? I know it's very hard giving children, <laughs> I know yes. it's very hard giving children, uh, oral antibiotics. Especially, I mean, I don't know if you've ever tasted some of the tasters, the tastes are we, we absolutely get, terrible. Yeah, we get it. We get the question because it's the most difficult thing to get an antibiotic in. Um, you can take a tablet and grind it down. You can, it, it doesn't work. You can, you can take the liquids. You can do whatever you like. You can put them into condensed milk. You can put whatever. It doesn't work. It doesn't I've work. tried them all, yeah. So a, a lot of people have asked that and we've, we've asked that at conferences. And I think at the moment it's because they're toxic given, the, given they, rectally. Yeah, they'll, they'll sterilize the bowel, is that? No, no, I think they actually or, cause irritation. I oh, think really? They cause, uh, they cause colitis and those sort of things. I think that's as far as I know. Okay, I, I heard an answer once that, you know, often when we do take even an oral antibiotic, as you said earlier, it kills all the good bacteria in our body that's and right. we might get thr- people might get thrush or gastro. Um, and if you put it directly into the colon or into the bowel, that all those good bacteria that we need are going to be killed immediately. So it'll cause so maybe that's the reason, terrible, yeah. uh, terrible diarrhea. Yeah. Can I just say one yes. word about the about probiotics? Of course, go. So probiotics were poo-pooed and laughed at, etc. Years years before, and now just quickly they they're being used, and we use them. We're not quite sure which one to use and how much to use, but certainly probiotics are important because they 
we try and get them to grow the normal bugs in the bowel. And the bugs that live in your in your colon, uh, we want to get them back to normal again. It's just at the moment nobody knows exactly the right dose, which one's the right one, should you do them in combination, but we certainly use them. Okay, we're going to take uh, our last uh, ad break. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to our last quarter of the show of Discam Medical Monday. I'm speaking to Dr. Martin Davis, pediatric pulmonologist. If you'd like to send any questions through, you can SMS 34519. Call in on the studio number 0101403020 or send us a telegram. 0618951019. Uh, Dr. Davis, why do you think that people are getting so many allergies um, at this stage? Is it, is it something genetic? Is it about the way we're giving birth? Is it about breastfeeding? I know there's a lot of controversy. Well, I think that from the genetic point of view, if you've got the genes, it's heterogeneous and lots of people have, have genes, you can't stop that. The, uh, the other thing is, um, from a point of view of, um, of, um, Industrialization and uh, a particulate matter in the air, we, you know, that we should try and work on. But there's no question, and all the studies being done now is that first of all, that the way in which babies are being delivered is actually very dangerous to deliver 90% of babies socially by Caesar, because they a baby needs to pick up its bugs, those bugs that live in the bowel and keep you well healthy from the mother's uh, birth canal. So I'm not talking about emergency seizures, but, but, you know, if they, if we have, if we have seizures, what some of the, um, I'm sorry to say this on the air, but some of the people, some of the gynies are doing is they're rubbing um, a, a cloth, uh, a, a uh, into into the mother's um, stool yes. and then wiping the baby's face with it as they are delivered. But yeah. if you look at the studies, wow, re- people are really doing that. They're really wow. doing it. And uh, if people are delivered, if if people are delivered vaginally, um, and you look at the baby's bugs in its bowel, those bugs resemble the mother's the mother's uh, uh, birth canal bugs. Right away. If you do Caesar, it, it, it shows you all the strips and the other viruses from the skin. So that's the one thing. So we know now that, that Caesar babies have a very much higher allergy rate. That's the first thing. The second one is by, by no, by all manner of means is coming from, from, uh, people going on to formula straight away. We, we need to know that babies can get their mothers, um, uh, Sort of um, early early milk called colostrum, and we also know that um, those babies who are breastfed for two months or more have very much much less allergy. All the allergy problems seem to be very much decreased. If people can um, can can breastfeed their babies um, for at least two two months by them on their own, and then go on to um, to some sort of help if they need to, that the, the amount of allergy comes down. There's a, there's a little, there's a little, there have been so many studies, I'm sorry, I don't want to hog, but there's so oh, many, pleasure. Carry yeah, on. there's so many, there's so many studies that have been done now looking at the, um, that the contents of breast milk as opposed to formulas. And the breast milks have got multitudes of things that they, they decrease the amount of allergy, they decrease the amount of infection, they decrease the amount of bowel infections and so on. And one of these is a little sugar, which, um, they, and they're, they found now more than a hundred of these little sugars in breast milk, which are called oligosaccharides. They have a, a short, 
a short little area with with sugar on it, and then they um, and they have lactose. So when people say to me, "But what about lactose intolerance?" It doesn't seem to do anything. But what it does do, it's not absorbed. It has no effect on the on the baby's um, growth at all. But what it does is it promotes promotes health. And they've shown now. Absolutely exclusively that babies who are breastfed for this long period of time and who get the oligosaccharides from their breast milk, um, which is not present in, in formulas, have much less allergies, much less diabetes, much less infections. So that should be, what's the minimum you would say if the moms are able to, they should breast? Yeah, not, not 100% of mothers can, but we would like to push 100% if we can. Okay, and uh, for how many months? Um, exclusively for two if we can and then together uh, and then for five it, those babies who breastfeed for two years have have minimal allergies and that's now been shown quite well okay uh, speaking about uh, just uh, while we're on uh, breastfeeding when when should uh, do you suggest parents introduce solids to the baby's diet i know it used to say bre- exclusive breast for six months but I know some people are saying a little bit earlier, around four months. Oh, it's becoming it's becoming a, a hot potato now. We, the uh, originally we used to feed them very early, and then for a long time we fed them we fed them late, um, and we gave them allergy foods um, like like um, like eggs and peanuts and so on, um, quite at, at at least a year. And those children developed much higher incidences of allergies so now we're sa- so the the workers from uh, from from australia um from perth and from melbourne have have said that we should feed them early from about the end of the third month onwards um and also to introduce all the allergic foods except i'm, I'm not talking about honey and full cream milk but the others should be introduced um quite early before before 11 months and um that's, those studies have been very well done with, uh, with peanuts. They've shown, um, that babies in, in B'nai Brak and, and, uh, Maya Sharim, uh, who eat bumbas from the age of four months never get, get very much less allergies than those people in, in Golders Green who are, who are very similar. So we're saying at the moment now there's a group saying you should go back to six months. So we're saying, okay, the end of four months, but that's a thumb suck. Okay, so four months and with egg and with uh, peanuts as, as you go through, yeah. Okay, yeah. and mothers who and mothers who um, during pregnancy should eat peanuts too. Okay, very good, very interesting. What about cow's milk allergy? How does that? Uh, why do children get it, and how does that present, and do they outgrow it? Um, cow's milk, cow's milk allergy. You can be allergic to um, to the casein in the in the cow's milk, and there are other. There are other proteins that you can be, we can, we can test for that. Um, they can present in a number of ways. They can present with, um, diarrheas. They can present with failure to thrive. Um, they can present with severe abdominal pain and, uh, mucus and blood stained stools, which, which are called FPIs. It's, it's, uh, uh, food protein endocolitis syndrome and, and, um, those ones, um, will present quite early and they, 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 the children are failing to thrive and sick and, and so on. This is from the mother having uh, cow's milk during the pregnancy, or is don't, this from them having? Don't know. Don't know. Okay. Don't know. I would. They have to, but they have to have. They have to have cow's milk 
So um, whether the first time they're triggered or not, I would think it's it's really not from the mom but from the milk. So we put them onto exclusively amino acid feeds. So um, there are a number of them on the market, Neocate, um, pep- Peptocates of Form, which is partially. Um, there's a one made by Novolac and so on. And they, and they actually, those children start to thrive because you put them on amino acids um, and they don't and they do well and then by six months usually they outgrow it. But most kids will outgrow their their milk allergies, their egg allergies and so on by three, except for peanuts. But if you have peanut allergy, you won't grow out of it. Okay, and just uh, uh, the milk allergy, as you said, would give you failure to thrive and gastric symptoms where the peanut yes. allergy, they would get, would that give you gastric symptoms or symptoms of anaphylaxis? Usually, or? Uh, usually allergy, uh, skin allergies or anaphylaxis, yeah. Okay, so much more dangerous, not yeah. uh, not like uh, the cow's milk. And uh, is there a difference whether the, the if the child's in a formula where the base is made out of cow's milk or where the mother dr- drinks cow's milk and that gets accreted in her breast milk or is it the No, th- probably the not. It probably does. Yeah, probably the mother will breastfeed. Um, if she can breastfeed, it's probably not going to happen because it comes from the casing of the cow's milk and that's probably not being transferred. Okay, uh, that would get broken down in the mother and so then um, that would go there. Okay, and uh, what advice do you have uh, for parents who are starting to put their children onto solid foods how should they start what do you usually suggest um if a child uh, uh, the one th- the one thing that said is that if if children are are, are big and fat you shouldn't put them onto onto formulas um a big pardon like porridges, porridges yeah cereals. like like cereal but in fact the the guys overseas are saying you should put them on everything early early on they should be getting um scrambled eggs by the time they're seven months um and but if they're big big kids, um, they usually get put onto onto fruit and vegetables. Usually vegetables to start off with. Um, these are the the again. It depends on the on the on the size of the child, I guess. Okay, we're going to take our final ad break, and then we'll be summing up with Dr. Davis. This is Medical Monday, brought to you with compliments of Discam Pharmacists Who Care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We have 10 minutes left. The show's gone so fast. Uh, really enjoying speaking to Dr. Martin Davis, pediatric pulmonologist at Netcare Linksfield Hospital. If you've got a question for him, you can SMS 34519. You can send a telegram on 0618951019. And you can phone in on 0101403020. We were just discussing um, different parents have different uh, attitudes towards keeping their kids clean, wiping down with wipes cleaning all their toys, wiping their dummies off the floor. Is it good enough just to put the child's dummy in your mouth and lick it off and then put it back in their mouth? It depends if you're sick or not. Okay. <laughs> but, but otherwise, um, um, we've, got to, we've got to start getting used to um, the fact that uh, there is a hygiene hypothesis. Um, and b- that was first described in, in the uh, towards the end of the 20. 20- 20th century, I suppose that's 25, 20 years down the line. But the, 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 if everybody wants to go and have a look on, on Dr. Google, rather let them go to Dr. Google and look up a guy called David Strachan, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, um, uh, Graham Rook, R-O-O-K, um, and there are a whole lot, um, there are a whole lot of other people, uh, from Erica van Mutius, um, David Holt, many of them. And they showed that, um, people who have large families, um, 
who live in the environment in the um, rural areas, large families, breastfeeding, um, those children tend to run around and never really get sick. Um, so that's been that's been looked at for a, for a long time now, and um, the the whole principle of changing antibiotics, giving all of these various things, are producing a new world of of of, of disease. So. I've been reading quite a lot about um, about the work that's being done by a guy called Graham Rook, and he he showed that uh, in the early days we were we were all gatherers. So people used to gather um, seeds, and they used to gather roots, and they used to gather stuff like that, and and they got the normal bacteria, which they call the old friends. The um, thereafter, when people started having cattle, they then started to develop parasites, and the parasites. Like worms would would prevent children from getting allergies. So, when they moved to the cities and when they came into um, first world and they started um, uh, having less children and so on, they they showed that the parasite infections. Although we give our kids all deworming tablets, um, they uh, they showed that the parasites uh, went down, and in its place there was a whole. Move over towards allergy. It's a it's a big subject, and it's very and it's it's very interesting to read. So, it would show that um, we've actually progressed from being well people now into a, into an environment where we give antibiotics, where we have seizures, where we have uh, um, bottle feeding, um, and so on and so forth. And the, the, he now talks about the the new bugs and the new bugs on the block are the ones that we're talking about and the new diseases are the allergy diseases and so on. So um, I think we must learn to give our kids their dummies back and we must uh, um, we must of course we must uh, participate in hygiene but um, but we should we should be a less a, a little less um, stringent about it. Okay, so allow them to pick up their toys off the floor and uh, put yes. them. Put them in the mouth. Have you ever had your 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 kid and it falls on the floor and you you're washing it all the time and then suddenly the neighbor's kid sits on the floor and puts it into their mouth, mouth and never gets sick. Yeah, exactly. It's that. Well, I think it also it happens uh, the amount of kid with my first uh, child. I think we were like that. The second maybe a little bit. The third one we're putting you know the dummy in Absolutely. the mouth and licking it off. And the fourth one you know just a bit of a wet wipe, a bit of water <laughs> under the tap and uh, yeah. and there we go. What what about pets? Quickly, what about pets with children? Well, uh, even though people are allergic to allergic to cats and dogs, um, they've now shown very well that if you've got if you've got a cat or a dog, um, Tom Platt's Mills in America has shown that that it's an IgE allergy thing, and if you can keep your dog or your cat, um, you will develop uh, resistance to your dog or your cat's allergy. Um, if you go and visit somebody else, you might be allergic to them, but we say keep your cat, keep your dog, unless you've got very high levels and symptoms. Wow, amazing. This hour has absolutely flown past. We can't wait to have you back again, oh, Dr. Thank Davis. Thank you very much. Thanks as well. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on uh, Discare Medical Monday 101.9 High FM. Have a good week. You can check out the website. We will have a podcast posted with Dr. Davis in the next couple of days.